Hey guys, welcome to the Banging Boardcast, episode number 429. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being, though, we can geek, bring you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list of comic books that we are looking forward to coming out December 16th, 2020. John, it's okay. We're almost there. Hey. We're almost there. And then we follow hey, it up I'm with excited. our weekly rotating main topic. And this week we're jumping back into our great Marvel movie retrospectives. And this is part 16. We're, we're going to be looking at 2017's Spider-Man Homecoming. It was 2017? Yeah. 2017 seems so far away. It does, but also, like, I still... I mean, a lot of these movies I remember going to see, but this one feels a lot more recent. I don't know. It could be because one of the last Marvel movies I saw in the theaters was Spider-Man Far From Home. And, I mean, there's a lot of bleed-through just with, like, the general feelings of those movies, so... I don't know. But, yeah, it doesn't seem that long ago, but it was... We can talk about some of the similarities later, but first, guys, let's uh, kick it off with a nice drink. And hey, just like last week or last episode, I'm not telling you when to listen to our shows. You listen at your own leisure, at your own pace. Uh, we are going and drinking through the Clown Shoes 12 Beers of Christmas Holiday Pack. And this week, uh, we're starting off with the fourth beer they recommended drink out of that pack, and uh, that would be Space Cake. A double Indian Pale Ale, and I have I have their official description from the Clown Shoes Twelve Beers of Christmas page on their website. They uh, call it double IPA, nine percent ABV. Ooh, special ingredients nine percent. Uh, special ingredients are mosaic and citra hops. This double IPA features robust hop aromas that carry through with strong, juicy flavors of tropical citrus. A sweet and strong malt backbone pairs with a subtle booziness to make Space Cake an approachable double IPA fit for an extraterrestrial odyssey. Uh, It hides that 9% extremely well. Uh, I'm almost done with it. Like, it just... uh, It's like a big gulper beer. Like, you can just really knock it back. Um, it definitely has that sweet malt on it. Um, that's kind of the more present thing. And then a nice lingering hop bitter. Um, I think when I first took the sip, I said, this is fairly, you know, that old school beer that we used to really like. Um, I have no problem drinking this. I think it's good. I don't, it didn't knock my socks off, but it is a good drinkable beer. And the fact that it hides that 9% so well, is I think it, it deserves a little more a little more round of applause for that. Uh, yeah, I think this yeah, this is one of those beers that's in between that big fruity uh, New England style IPA and that West Coast like big pine IPA, that resiny IPA. I get some of the fruitiness, a lot of the resiny on the back end, that bittering, but it's not scratching either of those two itches for me. Yeah. So I'm kind of I'm not disappointed. It's just like, okay, it's, it's good. It's drink. It's very, like you said, John, big gulping, big drink, easy drinking beer, especially at 9%. So it is good, but I don't know what flavor profile I would be in the mood for to and to reach for this beer. I, I would agree with that, Paul. I, I really do like this one a lot. Like you said, that 9% is going to sneak up on you, but it, it like, 
you, I, Paul, you nailed it when you said it's kind of in between, like East Coast, West Coast. Like it does have that nice like, uh, malt flavor to it, and there's a nice richness to it. But I think I liked the Yeehaw, the first out of this box that we had last week, a little bit more because that one was a little bit more like juicy fruit flavor yeah. forward, and that's just kind of what I like out of my IPAs right now. Like this one is really good, and it does have like that kind of nice mouth coating feel with that maltiness uh but also that one i mean should i check the website and see what that one was uh yeah that one was seven percent abv so again surprisingly that one was that high because it didn't feel like it at all but yeah I feel uh well prepared to get into the news garden guys and go pick some vegetables uh, 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 pick some news. Pick some news. That's, yeah, some the, news we, we grow we grow vegetables. We grow news out there now. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, did we have an expansion on the news garden? So now we're doing vegetables. Yeah, the back forty. You got to have a back forty. Is that like a sports thing you're talking about? It's like the I don't know, back acreage. I don't even know what it means. Something so- I heard once. <laughs> I, heard, I heard it once. The back forty. It's where everyone oh, grows their vegetables. Yeah, you know, it's a, you know part of the land that nobody uses. So you know the back forty, well, forty yards, forty acres. I don't know. And something that Sony's getting a, a lot of usage out of is the old Spider-Man franchise. We just received rumors, news, nothing confirmed uh, that going forward with the upcoming Spider-Man three movie. Not only are we going to have all the previous Spider-Men who appeared in the Sony Raimi Spider-Verse appearing, uh, but we're also going to be getting some of their villains, but now also Alfred Molina as Doc Ock again. Charlie Cox from the Netflix Daredevil show appearing. Uh, who else, John? You said, you listed a bunch of other people off. That I did. Uh, Kristen Dunst. Um, to, I just saw like right before we recorded Kirsten Dunst and Emma Stone have signed on to also appear and Jamie Foxx as Max Dillon is also yeah. on the thing to appear uh, also today there were some pictures taken of Tobey Maguire walking into a place that does oh, like you. sizing and fitting for costumes so he's probably going to get fitted for all of his stuff now and I am just happy there were pictures of him walking and not dancing. <laughs> it's Spider-Man oh. 3, y'all. Tobey Maguire dancing. And I, this Bad is... Bad news. Oh, this is... I, I kind of made this known when we first started getting those reports of, like, Jamie Foxx appearing and Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. I don't want them to just try to do Into the Spider-Verse again in live action because people really liked that movie. And Sony has a history of doing like, okay, well, what do people like? Okay. Yeah. Throw more of that in the movie, which has always been kind of their downfall. It happened with the Raimi Spider-Man movies. It happened with the Mark Webb, amazing Spider-Man movies. I don't want them to sandbag their own franchise when it's been working so well, having Marvel in house for it. And every single time now that we're like, Oh, this person appearing, this person appearing. I feel like they're just shoveling more coal onto that fire. And, you know, I'm cool with uh, Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock or Daredevil appearing in it. Maybe as his, you know, public defender. It's like, oh, this kid 
this is a kid. Like, he's not Spider-Man. That's crazy. That guy was an Avengers-level threat. Like, he's a villain. Why would you believe him? I don't... I like bringing in the Netflix stuff into the MCU officially, finally. But now, just too too much, it feels. And I could be proven wrong. I hope I'm proven wrong. But is anyone else kind of getting a little bit more apprehensive about this with every name that kind of pops up? When I saw Emma Stone and Kristen Dunst, I did feel that. And, like, where are these characters coming from? Like, I would be more interested in having, like, older uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man show up and be kind of a a little bit of a mentor and then have that kind of middle, a little bit older, but not as old as Tobey Maguire of Andrew Garfield, but like Doc Ock's dead. Is it Alfred Molina Doc Ock of this universe becoming Doc Ock? Is it Max Dillon of this universe becoming a different one? And then these Spider-Men are coming in, but then like, why do those guys look the same? And the other two Spider-Men look different. Like I, I don't, again, like, I don't know if I'm overthinking it of like, how are they going to do it? And are they going to get pulled from right before they die? Well, that's because we saw, well, what I'm thinking too, is we got into the spider verse where they had those other Spider-Man get pulled into, you know, Miles Morales's universe while they're doing their own Spider-Man thing. Are you going to see Andrew Garfield fighting Electro? And then he gets zapped into the MCU. Is it going to be Tobey Maguire fighting Alfred Molina's Doc Ock? And he like, Flips in, or is uh, Tom Holland Spider Man going to see visions of that stuff through like a shattered multiverse type situation where they're just going to be filming quick scenes of, oh, yes, <laughs> this is what he's looking in on at this point in time. If, but if you were going to do that kind of a scene, why go through all the hassle by and bring in those actors? Yeah, you have that footage. Clips. Yeah, you have good. You got you own them. They're yours. Yeah. Uh, you got to pay those guys no matter what. So maybe if, since we have to pay them, have them show up. And I kind of agree with you, John. It, it feels like I'm worried about how these people are showing up. Are we getting Madam Web again? Or, or is there some sort of weird dimensional rift? Like, I feel like, is this movie coming out after Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? Or is this before that one? Like, are we getting introduced to the multiverse in another movie? And then this movie's coming out to kind of like really play with it before they close that door. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like this is still so rumory that we really got to put it back into the ground, let it grow some more, see if it turns out to be actual news that we harvest, or if it turns out to be spoiler, spoiled cabbage that's just not true. And we just, you know, use it for fertilizer in the back, back 40. <laughs> but even then, like, depending on. When the movies come out, it doesn't really matter because they could still take place at different times because something we'll be talking about when we get into the main topic is so much of what you're seeing in Spider-Man Homecoming is taking place literally right after Civil War. But this movie's like four movies after that in the cinematic universe timeline. So they can be kind of, they can be loose with it though. As long as we introduce a multiverse idea in the Marvel proper, Marvel Cinematic Universe proper, in another Marvel Universe movie. 
So, well, Doctor Doctor Strange is supposed to be in Scarlet Witch, which will be in what January? Yeah, January fifteenth. So I do have the list here. So that will officially be the next one out. Wandavision, then Black Widow coming out in summer, so May. Then Shang Chi: Legend of the Ten Rings in July. Then Eternals after that in November. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, twenty twenty one, quote unquote. Loki. 2021 then spider-man 3 december 17th 2021 uh what if which is the animated series on disney plus then the hawkeye series then thor love and thunder then doctor strange which is slated march 25th 2022 so that's still far far down the road oh okay so that's and where does spider-man come out Sorry, I have to scroll back. I, I, you were listening. You were listening. To December like, se- December seventeenth. So it's coming out before Spider Man, or I'm sorry, before Doctor Strange, but also before Thor: Love and Thunder. So if you're taking out the actual Disney Plus series, it would be the okay, fourth so movie because you have Black Widow, Shang Chi, Eternals, then Spider Man. Yeah, I don't want Spider Man to introduce the big cosmic big weird world-altering, re- reality-altering thing of the multiverse. You know, I don't want that from a spider, from Spider-Man. But then again, I don't really want anything from Spider-Man. I don't... He's just... I don't know. He's a character that doesn't, you know, I don't gravitate to- towards, so... I don't know what I want from this movie. I don't know what it could do that would make me happy. I'm a sad, sad person. And that's okay. Yeah, I don't want to be too doom and gloom about it almost a year and a half before it comes out, because yeah. who knows what's going to happen. But it's it's hard to get into the mind frame looking forward to it when you just know Sony's track record on it, and that's that's really what's making me apprehensive about it. And But Marvel's still involved, right? Yeah, but it is... It's, and I mean... I mean, something... Uh, I was going to talk about. But they're bringing in a lot of Sony stuff. Yeah, they're bringing in the Sony stuff. And again, we couldn't watch. That's a lot of Sony stuff. We couldn't watch Spider Man Homecoming on Disney Plus because it's a Sony Columbia Pictures movie. Like, it's not available on that because Sony still has the rights, but Marvel's, like, co producing on it. So, end of the day, it's still a Sony franchise. That. That's why I've seen rumors of like, oh, well, they're also going to have Venom in it, and then Morbius. But again, that's all just fan supposition. And Silver Sable, please, and Black Cat. Please don't, please don't. Uh, and also coming from, oh, can I mention this real quick? Kind of. Oh because, yeah, go for it. Because bud. Chris uh, mentioned all. No, no, the release no, dates. you go for it. No, Chris mentioned all the release dates, and wasn't that news this week right? that we got a release date for WandaVision? Was that announced before? No, okay, we, we talked about not talking about that last week. Oh. Because it was already talked about. I saw it on Twitter again this week, so I'm like, oh. Um, they've been putting out, out little, not teasers, but new promotional materials for it, like every couple days, where it's um, Wanda and Vision in different decades that this, like the TV show episodes are going to be taking place in. And then if you've noticed, like, up in the top corner of each one, there's a poster on the wall behind their TV that's almost like an old-school magic eye. Mm-hmm. 
poster, but I haven't done any research to see if anybody's tried to decipher what the image included in it is. I saw somebody had, and I saw it, like, and I was like, I don't, I'm not going to look, because I, I kind of am done looking at material for this until I watch the series, because I'm just ready to watch the series. Yeah. I'm just excited to a, get something new. Yeah, it's a dinghy. Everybody knows that's what's in that magic eye. It's a schooner. What? Dinghy is a type of oh. schooner. Magic eye. Gotcha. I thought you said magic guy, and I was like, there's a boat in that dude? What? The magic guy has a magic eye. You didn't know that, though. I interrupted you for no reason, because apparently we already talked about it. And I'm all... Everybody's now dumber for having listened to me. So go. What's... Uh, So we have some... Another round of casting news for the Metal Gear Solid movie. Oscar Isaac has been... uh, hired to play Solid Snake. This is uh, director Jordan Va- Roberts, who did King Kong's Skull Island. Um, and the rumors about him playing this came out of an artist that uh, Jordan Va- Roberts had asked to do like a drawing of Oscar Isaac as Solid Snake. Mm-hmm. And the artist talked about doing that, and that's when like the rumor mills went crazy, and everyone wanted to have him as Solid Snake. It has now officially been he's been cast, and uh, I enjoy this casting. I'm really only like Metal Gear Solid fan. This is really the only one I ever played of the. <clears throat> Metal Gear Solid Snake games. I tried playing one of the newer ones. Um, I just couldn't get into it. And I was like, there's, they're talking so much story that I have no idea what's going on that I'm going to pass on. This. Yes, the, the game's got really heavy. I've heard a couple rumors. One, uh, as, you're pl- as you're going to watch this movie, you actually have to play a video game, which it would be reverse of what normally happens where you go to play the video game and you end up just watching cutscenes. I've also heard uh, when you're in the theater seeing it, when he goes to fight Psycho Mantis, you actually have to get up and walk to the next screen over to get the real end of the movie because otherwise you're not going to see it. Exactly. That's the other and, one. Uh, it'll read your memory card, too, and, and talk about the last game you played. He knew that I like to play Castlevania Symphony of the Night. How did he know? Oh, no, I like this casting. I don't know if I need to see a Metal Gear Solid movie because I lived it. I lived the Metal Gear Solid. You know? And that's the thing. That's, I think, the biggest thing about adapting video game franchises into movies. That if you're going to be doing something like Metal Gear Solid, which has an actual story to it, well, I already experienced that 20 years ago, it's different if you're doing something like Tomb Raider, because Lara Croft has a lot of different adventures. Like, she can just do something, but I feel like Metal Gear Solid with him. Otherwise, because if you're jumping further into the franchise, or like the history, it's really weird with clones of Big Boss, and like the Patriots, and all this other weird shit. It's 
It's more than 20 years ago, Chris. I don't remember when it came out. I I had it on PS... Was it PS1? PS1. Okay, geez. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. <laughs> well, because you're right. I was going to jump in before when you were talking about your Metal Gear history. Because I've played a, a bit more. Because I played Metal Gear Solid, but then I played Metal Gear Solid 2. Then I played Metal Gear Revengeance, which was the ride-in, like, hack-and-slash game. And then Metal Gear Solid 3. Snake Eater. But then after that, I never picked up the one that came out on the PS3 because I just I just never got into it. I never played anything on my PS3 because I played my Xbox. Did you have games. one on your PS your PSP? No, I didn't have that one. That was I think I, the I, one that came out. I remember you get was Twin Snakes. I think that one was, but I didn't I have it. I didn't have a I lot remember of you, PSP games. You had the Lumens. I remember Luminous. Hmm. I don't know. That's the only one I remember you having. Uh, there was like I a remember you getting style game. I don't remember what it was called though. I remember you getting one when we lived in the apartment together, and you were like, "I tried playing this game. I had to go to work in twenty minutes, and uh, the movie just kept going, and I had to turn it off and leave. And then I came back and I started playing again, and it was like an hour <laughs> before I was able to play. It's possible. I don't remember. I. I had a PSP just because I was able to get one at that time. I, I sat around and I played a lot of games. But ultimately, it wasn't a fulfilling experience. I've never been a handheld gamer. And every time I've gotten a system, because I'm like, oh, this is cool. There's some cool-looking stuff for it. it just, it's never enough to catch my attention. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's all the news we got, right, guys? Uh, Paul had some news behind the Rutabagas back there oh, about yeah, I the, had, I had some. the new uh, Nick Cage show coming out on Netflix. Yeah, over at our uh, Netflix uh, side of the card. And Nick Cage uh, with Funny or Die and Big... Oh, man, I have the report from uh, Variety right here. It's being produced by... doesn't really matter. It's Funny or Die and another studio up, B17 Entertainment. Uh, he's going to be doing a show called History of Swear Words. It's going to be a 20-minute episodic uh, feature on Netflix, and I think it's going to cover one, two, three, four, five, six different swear words. He's going to be talking to etymologist, or is it enymologist? I always forget, and that kind of bugs me. Um, and some comedians, and also some historians about the usage, where these swear words came from, their usage, and their change of meaning over time. Is this scripted, or is it, like, I think just him freewheeling? No, I, I feel like he's going to be the host, and it's going to mm-hmm. be almost like, um, I don't want to say, like, drunk history, but it's going to be someone talking about it. And, and he's going to conduct interviews with yeah. historians, entertainers, and experts in etymology, not entomology. Unless someone's named was, after a swear word, and then he would get an entomologist on it. No, because isn't an entomologist somebody that studies bugs? No, that's... Oh, I'm blanking in. Is it going to bug Ent- you? Entomology is the study of names. Jeez, oh. uh, why can't I think of it? I mean, I can look John, it up. John's so annoyed he's going to grab his other beer. It's okay. You can look it up. I thought it was interesting. I think this is a show I would be willing to sit through. Or, you know, watch, not just sit through. No, okay, that is entomology. What's the study of names? Uh, 
you know, it's only 20 minute episodes, so, you know, they can kind of play up the, ooh, we're saying bad words. That's onomatology. Sorry. My bad. Yeah, well, sounds like something. Wait, no, that's onomatopoeia. Mm. That's probably where that word came from. Um, I don't know. I'm interested in this, especially if they're like just short, like 20 minute episodes. It's something that I'll just put on in the background while I'm like reading comics or playing something on my phone. Like, yeah, that's fine. I really, really enjoyed Drunk. Was Drunk History Funny or Die, or was that straight up Comedy Central? I think yeah, it's yeah, Funny or Die. It started on Funny or Die, and it's, then Comedy Central picked it up. Yeah, I, like if they do it like that, I, I'd be very happy. You know, I like edutainment. Yeah. I, I like learning. I was really looking forward to uh, Gary Busey, like pet judge, because I thought it'd just be people with like problems, like with their pets, or and then going in front of him, and then like him actually being crazy and making a ruling. But it's super scripted, and it wasn't as much fun. Oh. I was thinking it would be Gary Busey just seeing pictures of pets and be like, "Oh, that's a that caught dog's really cute." Ten out of ten. No, that dog kind of has a Hitler mustache. Zero out of zero out of ten. I thought this was going to be him like trying to bite people's pets and then <laughs> ranking how they tasted, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then having to go in front of judges. <laughs> I didn't like biting him. I had to. It's in my contract. Uh, well, where where are we going next? You want to do the next beer? Are we going to get into the list? I- I think we've all poured it, right? I, I, just have. I haven't it. taken a sip of it yet. And well, Chris, you and I talk. Well, we'll take sips. Paul, you talk about it. Okay. Well, uh, this is the second beer I'm reducing. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I will introduce it. Oh. I'll introduce it because I can give you guys some time to sip. Uh, so the next beer we're going to be doing, which is going to be number five out of the Clown Shoes, 12 Beers of Christmas. If you want to drink along with us, uh, why not? Find this box, it's, drink alongside us. Uh, we're on beer number five right now, so you still got time to catch up. Uh, but this is Bubble Farm. This is an IPA. Wait, I poured the wrong. I, the I poured the it. wrong one. Oh shit! You did. I'll be right back. Okay, <clears throat> we're actually drinking the Royal. I'll I'll introduce it. <laughs> uh, Four hundred twenty-nine so of these, everybody. Four hundred twenty-nine. <laughs> Paul, you can't do it twice. We just Paul did. I just got ripped a new one. You can't do it twice. We talked about it before show. So I have the, the beer. Problem I'll is, talk about I put it. The, I put them in the wrong order. I was I tried to be smart. I pulled them all out of the case and put them on the shelf in front of the case. But yes, number five, Royal Standard, and this is a we. I thought I was nothing. doing I it. Came back. <laughs> take it back over. Take another sip. <laughs> Drink it. Drink the beer. It's good. I don't know. I haven't tried this yet. Uh, but this is a I, wee heavy ale. I, I'm not eight <laughs> percent ABV. The special ingredients for this one are Scottish Golden Promise malt, and they. Call this a malty, creamy, and moderately sweet. Uh, we brew this wee heavy with Scottish Golden Promise barley malt to add a deep fullness and a hint of herbal floral and tenderness. I'm not. I'm getting a little bit of tenderness. I'm getting sweetness right out the front. Like the first t- sip of it, I'm like, "Ooh, this is sweet," coming from that IPA. Um, now that I'm into it a little bit more, it's not as sweet, and it is uh, a different kind of malt, a different kind of. No, it's a Scotch ale. It's it's all right. I'm I'm happy with it as a Scotch ale, right? Oh, or it's a wee heavy, which is yeah. it's basically a Scotch okay, ale. Okay, thank goodness. Because like, the the Scotch ales that I've had, had the, the Scotch ale that I've had the most would be 
Founder's Dirty Bastard. Mm-hmm. So that's probably like my go-to like Scotch ale. But I think like I think the pro, like a wee heavy is like an imperial version of a of like a Scotch ale. It's going to be a little bit bigger. I like a uh, Great Divides, right? Great Divides. What's the Claymore? Yeah. Yeah, the Claymore. Yeah, I really. Like I don't. That I don't know. If, I don't know if you can still find that anywhere. But that would that would have been my go-to probably. But this hits a lot of the same notes as something like Dirty Bastard, but it does have a little bit more of a sweetness to it, and I think that's that floral tenderness that they refer to. Um, yeah, this is easy easy to drink. Um, would I say I'm not loving percent? I'm not loving it. I mean, I would rather have a Dirty Bastard, but this is good. It's got a little bit of a bite to it on the back. And I get a little bit of a metallicness to it. Um, Add case, bud. John, it might be just another. John, I will uh, say because we are an audio podcast, but I can see you're chewing on the can like a goat. What? You're not supposed <laughs> to do that. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't. It's just it's just not hitting my palate right, and maybe it's going from that multi IPA to then this. It just isn't. Um, it's just not doing me right, and I'm no, I, I'm so I'm cracking through it trying to get it like acclimated to I can it, get but it's kind just of not that, not doing that it. That tinniness on the tongue, like that you were talking to, like it's very subtle. Like it kind of goes away quick, but after I take a sip, it's almost like when you take a battery and put it on your tongue for a second. That's what we all do. You got to check if that battery's still good. Thing on the way. Um, I plug it into something and see if it works. Well, that seems like a lot why of would effort. I? Why would I put it in my mouth? You know, you just you know, take a battery and just you know, oh, still good. Uh, <laughs> audio podcast. <laughs> audio podcast. Uh, let me describe it. Uh, Paul nonchalantly took a battery, rubbed it on his tongue, and went, eh, "It's still good." This isn't bad, though. I think this is it's, again it's just, better than that battery taste. Better, <laughs> better than batteries. Paul's review. Um, I would gladly take something like a Dirty Bastard or in other half over it. Obviously, I mean, that's going to be a bigger, richer, fuller beer. But this isn't bad. And again, I'm going into the 12 beers of Christmas with this as just seeing a bunch of different stuff that Clown Shoes can do. And I think this is a good inclusion just because, I mean, so far, five beers in, this is different from the other ones that they've included. Like... This They've had a bunch of IPAs, but just style-wise, like this is something that they haven't had yet. Yeah, I, I, and oh. each IPA that they've had—sorry to cut you off, Paul. Each IPA that we've had has been different enough from the previous one that even drinking—you know—we're only we're drinking three back to back—that they are different enough that you're not like, oh yeah, like this is a lot like that IPA I just had. They're still different enough. Because um, are we doing the... Oh, the next one is... You already yeah, said Bubble it, Farm. You already opened it The up. next IPA. Bubble Farm, which is also just like... Uh, it's going to be a little less than the normal um, Space Cake that we had. But it's going to be different enough that it's not the same beer. I'm of the mind frame right now that this is an extravagant beer flight. 
And would I be upset that this beer was on my beer plate? No, I'd be like, okay, this is decent. This is this is their their take on a wee wee heavy ale or a scotch ale, and okay, it's nice. You know, I'm trying it out. Would I want to order a four pack of this? Probably not, but I'm happy to have it right now. You know, to break up those IPAs, I'm glad I'm not drinking another double IPA right now. It's nice to break it up. This is this is a big plate board for me. Uh, this whole pack, so. I get to see. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what it's supposed to be. And if you are doing it like I don't know, even how they mean you to do it by having one a night on a you know a December night in the upper U.S. where it's cold out, I'll have you know. Like, last time I nice. looked, it was fifty three degrees in Florida. That's cold for here. Oh, well, right no, I, so I spent but, most of my day outside today, so I'm happy to have this. I've been cold all day. I've I've remodeled this the studio where I I record in and now I have a desk and I have a fireplace and I'm drinking a wee heavy in front of the fireplace. I think I'm doing it right. You are doing it. And right. I think that's what they want you to do on a December night. They want you to do it right. And now we're going to go into the list. Not, not, I, I thought you were going to do the dramatic <laughs> reading. I, I almost did. I yeah, almost I was, did. I was trying to think of a way to kind of like jump in on what you said because you're you're doing it right. I don't know if this would be my go-to, like, back when I lived in Buffalo or Grand Rapids, like, cold night, get back inside, like, take off my hat, my scarf, my coat. Would this be a beer I grab? I don't know. Like, There's very few if, of those beers that I would say are a go-to. Like, but also, I have very few, very little go-to beers right now. Maybe Edmunds Fitzgerald for that kind of, like, you know, a dark, rich portal that's easy to get. Go to, just have it in the fridge. French now that... When was the last time you, you had it, though? I haven't had it. You, you know why? Because I'm constantly chasing the new on the show. You know, I'm spending a lot yeah. of money on, you know, trying out new beer. That having those staples it seems more and more like a luxury. So and even... Also, I should cut back on drinking <laughs> But even right now, like, I just did a search to see, like, what my highest rated winter warmer would be. And it's probably the Breckenridge Christmas Ale. Okay. But let me see the last time I had it. One check-in, February 8th, 2012. So, again, like, not something that I can just, like, go out and get. That's also five years before Spider-Man Homecoming came out. True. But it's also That's eight, like eight when, years uh, uh, before the books that we're looking forward to coming out this week, December 16th, 2020. And both of you guys aren't looking forward to I, any book coming out this week. No, this is actually like about a really show. slow week for me. And even last week, the week before that, Anytime I've gone to look at the new comics coming out, I'm like, there's nothing that's really getting me jazzed. There's books that I just buy to read, but there's nothing that I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me pick this up. It's something new. It's something different. Let me bring this to the show to talk about. Um, So I'm picking up another trade paperback, and that's going to be Marauders Volume 1 for Marvel Comics. Uh, And this is the Pirate X-Men book, because for some reason, Jerry Duggan decided, well... There needs to be Pirate X-Men. And after reading the Amazing X-Men run from Jason Aaron, where 
they did become pirates for a little bit when they had to go get Nightcrawler's soul back. Uh, I'm kind of on board for this. I'm interested in reading this kind of corner of the X-Men universe. The pirates on this crew are Kitty Pride, Emma Frost, Storm, Pyro, Bishop, and Iceman. There's some cool X-Men here. I like some of these characters, some more than others, but I don't know. I I appreciate that they're trying something different with X-Men. I I like Jerry Duggan's writing. Like he's somebody who's he's fun when he's writing fun. When he tries to write a little more serious, uh, it kind of falls short. We did that. We it was uh, for look back. It was the guy that like ruined technology and like uh, it was called Analog, oh. and that wasn't as good. But I really liked. He did a Batman Arkham book where Batman was committed in Arkham to find the killer in Arkham. I really like that series. Uh, he did a Deadpool series, and he did another series that I really enjoyed. But they were, like, kind of fun in a way. The Arkham book was really kind of weird. Like, he does a really good job with that. So I think him picking the... He probably handpicked these characters... And you're probably going to get a fun swashbuckling book with it. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. And talked about it a little bit last episode, or it might have been in the pre-show stuff, but in that Disney Plus Marvel 616 documentary, he does appear in one of the episodes. It's the one where Paul Shear is looking for the Marvel book that he wants to relaunch on Disney Plus. And one of the people that he talks to is actually Jerry Duggan, about some like the weirder, lesser known characters in the Marvel universe, and when I saw him pop up, I'm, I had that like, oh, that's Jerry Duggan. Okay, cool. Now, now things make more sense. Like, I got, I got to put things together, and I liked it. Um, but yeah, he he writes some fun stuff, and I think this will uh, be a fun book. I first heard of him. He was one of the people on Brian Posehn's Nerd Poker. Where it was his his group that play D and D together, and he was one of the funniest people on there. Uh, his first character was a druid that was always naked and riding a bear. His next character was the most pompous asshole paladin you could have, and like he was when he w- had to roll his other character because he flat out just killed his druid. Uh, it was like. I was like, oh, man, it's like two episodes without him. Man, I, re- I really want him back on because he was fun. And then he played a completely different character. So, I don't know. I am I got a little spot in my heart for Jerry Duggan. And uh, I'm looking. I'm actually looking forward to reading okay, this because I think it'll be a fun I read. do have a trade-in policy coming up. So, it's probably either going to be this or Excalibur, which is the last trade that I picked up because there were no books coming out. So, yeah. Maybe this will be my pick. We'll see. But Paul, you're, you're probably looking a forward to a, a, a real book. Yeah, I'm picking up a book uh, next week or yeah, this week coming up, and that's going to be Fantastic Four number twenty-seven. Now, John, you have a question for me, right? Because we read number twenty-five for the show. Oh, did you buy twenty-six? Yes. Whoa! I right, uh, right I mean, can, can we? 
can't, we should just end the podcast now. Paul's bought in a book three weeks in a or three months in a row. Well, I realized that I missed it, and I, while I was waiting for you guys, <laughs> while I was waiting for you guys to jump online, I bought it and then read it. My headphones are too short. I threw my head back to laugh, and my head got whipped forward from my my short headphones cord. And now my neck hurts, Paul. Oh, that, you did it to yourself. <laughs> no, you did it to me. So I did read, I did buy and read uh, issue twenty six, and issue twenty six ends with the Griever coming back. Oh, that's don't right. know who that is. It's the villain that actually came and destroyed a bunch of the universes before Heroes Reborn, apparently. Ah, because that, uh, I, that was. In issue 26, basically, what's happening is that Forever Gate that opens, a bunch of the creatures and people... Denizens? Denizens. Denizens. Anabalapia. Entomology. Yeah. Of the worlds that Franklin created are coming through and, like, to meet Franklin, their maker and creator. and But he has no more powers. And not only are, are they coming to meet him, they're also on the run from the from the griever who's back, and she's coming for them. She's coming for him, and for th- their universe. So, uh, it'll be. Uh, I kind of want to learn more about the heroes reborn thing now, but uh, you know, I, I think it's been fun. It's been interesting so far. Uh, to see. Oh, also in Franklin, apparently, not. A mutant. Never has been, never was. But he literally was just in, like, one of the X-Men books on, like, Krakoa. Right. Because he has that alternating, he had the power to change your realities. He wanted to be unique and different so much that his powers actually rewrote his own genetic code to appear as a mutant. But he wasn't actually a mutant. We learned that from Professor X in this book. Uh, issue 26. But how did he get the powers? His power, he's always had the powers. So he... A, so he was, but he's he was with born power. with them. Yeah. You know, cosmic race. What What power? Power of voodoo. Voodoo? You do. Do what? The power of the babe. Remember the babe. <laughs> There's ever a... If there's ever a reason to do that quote, we will do that quote. I think we've done it, like, every single time that it's come up. I, and that was the first time. <laughs> <laughs> we've done it. Wait a bit. I'm sure. We've done it. We've done it. I think we've done it more in our personal lives, you and me, Paul. Oh. But, <laughs> but listeners, if you've been a listener for quite a while, if we've ever done that joke before... Fill us in. Let us know. I've been on the podcast for a couple of years. I don't remember that ever being a thing. Oh, and if you're a listener, I'm sorry I short shrifted you at the very end of last episode and thanked you for your donation to my turkey trot. But thank you to all the listeners that did, including, uh, yeah, including all of you. Because I don't remember the name. Uh, and I'm actually looking forward to another. His name was David Bowie. Another. He was the Goblin King Jared. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I'm looking forward to the plot from Vault Comics. 
Uh, this is written by Tim Daniel and Michael Morselli. Uh, this collects issues one through four. And this is uh, a book about Chase Blaine, who, when his estranged brother and sister-in-law are murdered, he becomes the guardian of their two children. And with this new family, he decides to move back to the family home in Cape Augusta that overlooks the deep black bogland teeming with family secrets. Uh, this was something that had popped up as like, like good new comic horror that it, that had just recently come out, um, added it to my wish list, and uh, I'm given a reason to pick up the four issues. Um, and four issues for only $9.99. That's not too bad. Yeah, that's um, goodbye. 100, 141 pages. Uh, I'm hoping that it's a nice little mystery horror kind of book. Hmm. You, you know what we should read next, though? A dramatic reading from the Bagden Broadcast. Kill Shakespeare. Issue 1. Page 1. Panel. Four. You belong to me now. And that was a Bagden Boardcast dramatic reading from Kill Shakespeare. She won. Page one. Panel four. I just I just want to say, before Paul picked this, he asked a bunch of questions like one through twenty-seven, I picked twenty-seven. One through nine, I picked nine. None of those numbers coincide with what you just read to me. Comics. If you, you went on to my comicsology, I went to the last page nine of the books that I owned, and then the twenty seventh book on that page. Okay. Okay. And there you go. That's how I pick Kill Shakespeare. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for breaking that down for me, because I was confused when you were like page one. Panel four. Yeah. That's that's how I had to pick the book. Hey, you didn't have to call the cops on me, Paul. I'm sorry. It's all right. Normally we get into another beer, but guys, let's just get right into the main topic, right? Like, we're not done with that beer. I I finished it because I thought we were about to get into another beer. So. Oh, are we getting into it? Okay, then let's. I'm gonna go get my other beer. Hey, we can take a we can take a pause. And our next beer from Clown Shoes is Bubble Farm IPA. This is a 6.5% IPA, and it's... Bubbly? Is it farmy? Do you have to go out to the back 40 to find this? I'm going to go to the back 48 because, I mean, it's, it's it's at the other farm, the Bubble Farm, not the News Garden. Uh... But Chris, you probably have a description of this I up on do. the internet. Uh, Bubble Farm. Special ingredients Mosaic, Simcoe, Izaka, and Idaho 7 hops. Light in color with a touch of haze. This American IPA maintains an approachable medium body without sacrificing any of the full aroma and flavor of copious dry hopping additions of Simcoe, Izaka, and Idaho 7 hops. So, this is a dry hopped IPA, uh, an American style. 6.5. So this is like the smallest because I know we went through them all on the previous episode where we first started this. Um, yeah, this is the most kind of filler of the beers I think that we've had so far because it's an IPA. It's good. 
I think it's a solid three Bargatory beer. Oh, this is nice. I feel like I just uh, dropped it into cruise control, and I'm just going down a straight path of of highway here. And it's nice. Like I've already thinking I taken down uh, about almost half of it, just because it's it's a nice, very easy drinking beer. Um, I I enjoy the flavor. It's 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 just hinting. It feels like a session right now, probably because of all the big boys. That we had. It is six point five, but it delivers a nice, just rich IPA flavor without being too overpowering, too overblowing. It, it's very like this IPA is a beer, and it's very beery. <laughs> like it just delivers. Like you know, you're drinking a beer. Um, I think it is a bargatory beer. I, I would say both IPAs were bargatory beers, but I would probably take. Bubble Farm over space uh, space cake space cake, um, yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, it's it just, easier to drink than the Bubble Farm because it's not as like that multi. I think the I think the Bubble Farm was easier to drink, or the um, the space cake? space cake was easier to drink because it just kind of really went down smooth. This has got like a kind of like pop to it of those hops. Like I get a lot of character of the beer. I get a freshness of it. Like, like a- I, I got a lot. I got a lot bouncing on my tongue, and I'm I enjoy. I'm really enjoying drinking that. I think the other beer went down more smooth. But if you're if you're out at a bar, I don't want to pound a, a nine percenter so easy. Um, where this at a six and a half, like. I don't need to chug it. I'm just kind of going along nicely with it. It's This is a beer that I have seen at my local beer store. And once I started going there after I moved to Orlando, and I actually started buying and drinking more Clown True stuff regularly, this is a beer that I always passed on because even just looking at the can, and I can get like the tall boy versions of this, it literally says Bubble Farm IPA. And so many of their other beers have so many amazing, wonderful like flavors added into whatever style that it is, that this is something that I've constantly passed over. And I'm glad I finally got to have it through the 12 beers of Christmas here. But I also feel like, okay, I'm glad I didn't put down the money to buy like the tall boy can of it before because I had one thrown into my case. And this is the beer that I'm like... Oh yeah, it's it's a beer that I was able to drink. Thank you, clown shoes, as they fly overhead in some sort of sleigh. Like this would not be a beer that I would seek out. And I think so far, like from the like the six that we've now had, I think any of those other ones would kind of like stick out a little bit more if I went to that proverbial bargatory beer that or bargatory bar that we always talk about that had something else from Clown Shoes on it, I would pick that over over Bubble Farm. So we have two power rankings going on right now. Oh, John, what were you saying? No, I was just trying to think of the beers that we had last week. I know that I'm just... Because I had one that was off. Yeah, that was the, the Yeehaw. Off. And then we had the Reindeer Games Bavarian IPA and the Pecan Pie Porter. Yeah. Uh, so I think the two 
and, and unfortunately, John, this is the off beer that you had. The, but you also were you started it, John. So it's you brought it upon. So it's your again. fault. It is your fault. Uh, it's all your fault, IPAs. John. You you mentioned you would put this. You would have space cake over this one. And no, I would in Bargatory. I would do Bubble Farm over, over space, space cake. cake. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying you like space cake more than this. Uh, so, the three IPAs: Yeehaw, Space Cake, uh, and then Bubble Farm, and then the power ranking of the three that we just had tonight. That's 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 okay. what I'm interested in right now. If you guys don't mind, my power my power ranking, I think, would be Space Cake number one, Bubble Farm number two. And the wee heavy at the bottom. Uh, I would go... And is this power ranking of what you enjoyed or what you would get again? Your enjoyment? I think what, what I enjoyed. I the, the space cake getting crushed. I mean, I pounded that beer at 9%. I enjoyed it. The fact that I didn't get that 9%, I think, puts that at the top. If it was at Bargatory, it wouldn't be the beer that I would drink because I don't want to crush a nine percenter and then think about having to go anywhere. Because it's Bargatory, uh, who knows who's also with you at Bargatory? You don't want to make any bad decisions. And if I'm sitting around with you, if I'm sitting around with you guys at a bar table shelling nuts and and drinking some beers, I would want to drink a Bubble Farm because I think that beer would go well with those peanuts. Uh, so uh, that's where I'm at, but I would probably drink a, a space cake over a bubble farm. Uh, Chris, you got yours? It seemed like you were ready. Yeah, I, I was ready because the answer to both of your questions, my power ranking stays the same. So like what I enjoyed and then what I would get again, um, space cake. Cause I, it was big, flavorful. 9%, that's nice. I don't need to drink a lot of them. I will enjoy what I am drinking. But then next would be Bubble Farm because it is a bargatory beer. I could sit there. I could drink a few of these just like sitting there, showing, showing nuts drinking beers. Um, but then my final one would be the Royal Standard. And it's less, not because there was anything wrong with it, but drinking it made me be like, well, I would much rather have a founder's dirty bastard over that. And that's something I can just go to my local beer store and get. Like, it's available here. I really used to like that beer. I used to be able to buy, like, jars of dirty bastard mustard at the founder's gift store. Dear God, why did I spend more time at founder's when I lived in Grand Rapids? Um, existential spiral. But yeah, uh, Space Cake... Bubble Farm, then Royal Standard. Well, I'm going to go with uh, Royal Standard number one. Wow. Then, Whoa! Yeah, because I haven't had a wee heavy, a.k.a. a Scotch Ale in so long. And you guys are talking about Dirty Bastard and all that. That's nice. Well, I mean, but, but right now, for, that, for that percentage, I mean, it, it, Chris keeps saying Dirty Bastard, but Backwoods. Yeah. I mean, I mean well, Backwoods Bastard would, also, I mean, that would be my go-to. But then again, it's it's barrel age, so that's kind of like 
That's a it step above what what this yeah, is. No longer, in the yeah, same class. but it's still. I mean, it's... that's like that's like talking about the the Yankees versus a minor league team. Like it's not fair. You know, once you get into the barrel age, hey, that's big leagues. Chris, Chris brought up butter, better half. He brought up better half. That's barrel age. Yeah, I, I brought it up in passing though, like because I would rather have that over. But that's again, that's classism. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I will say another we heavy that I had that I really liked was from Arcadia Ales that we went to when you guys came on beercation, uh, and that was uh, Lockdown. Which yeah. that was the only time I had yeah. that, but I remember really enjoying that at the bar. I couldn't. I, I could guys not... remember we talked about doing another. Beer-cation? We talked about doing another uh, beercation in Michigan, yeah, and then <laughs> two years from now, and then everything shut down. Yeah, we were doing it for your 40th, a.k.a. my 39th, right? Oh, Paul's our, so young. Our 40th. Little, little, little Chris and yeah. John action. Maybe, maybe we can just leave him out. But Arcadia was really good. <laughs> I did like uh, it. Yeah, Arcadia is great. Uh, and then I would go Bubble Farm, and then last, Space Cake. Uh, I'm just really enjoying how Space Cake and... The problem with Space Cake is what I said before. It's like I'm not sure what it what niche it's trying to fill. And I I kinda want it to go I want it to go either way. Like I'm not gonna pick up that beer when I'm in the mood for either New England or a West Coast IPA. It's it, it's right in the middle. Like no, I'm not in the I'm I don't think I'm ever in the mood for something that's right in the middle. And it's that Space Cake's the gulper, and I like getting the sips of Bubble Farm, though. Like, mm-hmm. take a sip of Bubble Farm after, I'm just like, hmm, that is good. I'm so so happy I have so much Chris, if, if we were at Pizza Plant in our early to mid-20s, where we spent most of our time shelling nuts, shelling eating nuts, pods. Eating pods, drinking beers, putting stools this on the would, bar, because we would help them close it down, because we would spend all night there. Uh... <clears throat> This would be a beer that we would be raving about, True. and I'm pointing to Bubble Farm. True, and also, also Space Cake. You know, there these beers are beers from our past. They're things that we would have loved and raved about for for years. They're Ghosts of Christmas Beer Pass. Yes, <clears throat> they are. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's. It's good. I haven't actively disliked any of the beers that we've had, like out of these first uh, six. I would. Pro- you loved me once, once, Abeniza. Um, that was long ago. I would probably not that we're doing full power rankings yet. I would put Bubble Farm over uh, Reindeer Games, and I really like that one just because that like kind of like grassy malt. I I dug it. Um, but again, I can circle that back where. Every single one of these beers that we've had, even the IPAs, have all been very different. And I can appreciate that. I I think this is just becoming even better value at like the 25 bucks that I spent for it. Because mm-hmm. all, all these beers have been enjoyable. We've gotten a lot of discussion out of every one of them, you know, podcasting standpoint. I think any single one of these is a good beer. And that's, a, that's a great showing. Down in, down in Florida, you don't have a deposit, do you? No, I do not. Straight to the <laughs> trash, baby. Straight to the trash. Freaking trash, people. 
Because <laughs> I'm like, it cost me more than twenty five, and it was. Wait a second, no, it was like twenty four ninety nine. It was and no, like, it was twenty. I think it was twenty seven ninety nine, wasn't it? I, no, twenty four. I, I bought it at Consumers. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, and then I'm like, wait a second, come on. What? I was in Lockport. Consumers was right there, and Ed is right. Nothing moves in that consumers. <laughs> <laughs> There's stuff. There is aged bottles just there. They still have KBS from their original release. <laughs> like uh, when I actually went and picked this up, and then just some other beers to have in my fridge. They had KBS on the shelf at my beer store, and I was like, oh, I'm already spending twenty five bucks. Like, and then I was just buying stuff for like my home bar because I need some more whiskey. Uh, so I passed on it because they still had a decent amount of it, and I know it had come out like the week before. It's KBS is yeah, like year round, so it's not like an event beer now. But you know what is yeah, an I event? Check the date on it though. Going mm. going to the movies. Going to the movies, something we can't do anymore. But man, those Marvel movies were always something I used to look forward to coming out. And among them was Spider Man Homecoming, which yes is a Marvel movie. But when you watch this movie, the first thing you see when you put that DVD in, like I said at the start of the show, can't watch it on Disney+. Plus. This is a Columbia Pictures movie uh, in association with Marvel. Well, it's not the first thing you see, because they actually do a cold open first. And then... And then, okay. They have, like, two minutes of the... Well, it's... Well, you know... I want to complain about the two minutes of stupid Columbia, Sony, Sony, Columbia, and then Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> like, interrupting the cold open. It's a new world. The world is changing. We have to change with it. I think that's the line. I don't know. I haven't seen this movie in a while. You know why? You can't watch it on Disney+. Plus. I own the DVD or Blu-ray, and still, I'm too lazy now. I can't pop it. I just... and th- and that's where I'm at, too, and I feel bad about that. But that's also what makes this one of the Marvel... We, yeah, it's a Sony Columbia movie. We we rarely got past that. Uh, this is one of the Marvel Cinematic movies that I think I've seen the least, just because it isn't available for streaming. It's not something I can just like put on in the background while I'm doing something else. Like, I can... I think, I think I've even seen uh, Captain Marvel more than this, because... If I want to watch this movie, it, it it's me actively getting up and doing something, which I know isn't isn't the end of the world. But I could literally just put on like anything else that I love just by hitting like three buttons on my remote. Like getting up and like putting in a DVD now is like, oh, who has the time? I mean- you know, you both, both of you said the basically yeah. the same thing. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I own it, but oh, I gotta snap the thing up, oh, inject. Oh, oh, you get this. John doesn't. I'm basically Here's that person who's in black and white in in the infomercial. Like, there has to be an easier way. <laughs> also, I can't crack these eggs. Here's the other thing with a Blu-ray. I can only play it on one television, and that's the living room television. If it was on DVD or streaming, I could play it while I'm watching, you know, on the Xbox while I'm running on the treadmill. Or, like, as I'm going to bed on the 
DVD player that I have in the bedroom. But since, or, you know, on the Chromecast that I have on all three of those different televisions, I can only watch it on my one Blu-ray player that I have. One, well, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure your bedroom TV only plays Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> so that's out. And don't, don't give me that look. Cause I don't know. It was like three years that your wife went to sleep watching Ghostbusters 2. That's well, there was three years. I've been married a long time. So if the math doesn't add up, just remember, I've been married so long that math no longer works. Uh, is it longer than she's been watching Ghostbusters 2? Uh, for five years, she fell asleep watching Gilmore Girls off of, on the on the DVD. Then there was the three years of Ghostbusters 2. And then there's been four years of both uh, How I Met Your Mother, and then two years of New Girl, and then we're now back to uh, Gilmore Girls again. So, All right. Don't give me... I said... You're think it's always watching Ghostbusters 2, and you looked at me like, what the hell is this guy talking about? He's the stupidest idiot in the world. I'm not. Man, I'm because I'm very specific with my looks. I did Yeah. Know. You you were. Uh <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think it's fairly easy to put a DVD in a DVD player no, and watch something that you want. I'm talking about uh, a Blu-ray player. I have one television, one player. No, but that's the thing. Like, when and that player, so do I. That player means I have to watch it versus like instead of doing other things like falling asleep or running on a treadmill. <laughs> you know what My I mean? only thing is just saying like. I watch everything on streaming platforms now, so I can watch pretty much whatever I want. If I want to watch some specialty thing, I there's an extra step involved, and I would rather just watch whatever's available at the press of a button, literally. So Spider-Man's mm-hmm. something that I haven't watched a lot, because for me to w- watch Spider-Man, I have to actually think, like, oh, I want to watch Spider-Man, which is what led me to rewatch Homecoming. Everything else I can just put on as I'm scrolling through something and be like, oh, you know what? Civil War would be good to have on right now. Oh, you know what? Let me put on... That's always the answer. Let me let me just put on Gravity Falls. Oh, now I'm re-watching all of Gravity Falls because it's right there. Like, I have to actively why do you keep, watch. But why do you keep buying DVDs then? I, I, I don't. I haven't. Yeah. I have, Since Disney Plus has come out, you're, I have... You're always like, oh, I gotta, I'm going to pick this up and... I'm, I'm going to pick this up in DVD. You're always Ooh. saying that. Who, me? What was, the, what was the last Marvel movie that you bought, Chris? The last one I bought was probably... I, I, I have bought all of them, so it was probably Endgame. But that's also just because they were coming out, and by pre-ordering them, I got a cool set of lithographs. <laughs> and, and a discount from where I work, so... Yeah, like, I'm just buying to have them in the collection, but I don't need to actually own that DVD now. It's just that kind of carryover from living that lifestyle where it's like, oh, you want to watch something, you buy it on that physical media. I still haven't bought Far From Home. I don't don't own that one because it came out, it's not on Disney+. Plus. I'll have to buy it so we can talk about that one and, like... (laughs) Four more movies, but yeah, I have I haven't bought Rise of Skywalker because it's available. 
I wouldn't even bother. But that exactly, like, and that's what. But that's a movie that I think I think I bought. But if I want to watch it, I can just get off of Disney Plus. Like, I don't need to put in the DVD. That's that's the thing. This has been a lot of bullshit. (laughs) Well, we're (laughs) yeah, buying the DVDs. I think I'm asking. I think it's important to talk about because it is re- like it is the reason why this one of the reasons why this movie isn't one that we look back on fondly because we haven't gone back to rewatch it. Partly because of the ease, because man, if you're faced with a decision on Disney Plus, Thor Ragnarok, Spider Man Far From Home, or or not Spider Man, Spider Man's not even there, you're watching Thor Ragnarok, right? Like yeah, if, if I guess. we were I, if we were it, just streaming these like one after the other, and Spider-Man: Homecoming's not available, do you just stop like the binge after you watch whatever came out last? I don't remember. Was it Doctor Strange? I, I think it might have been Doctor Strange. Do you stop like between Doctor <laughs> Strange and whatever's coming up next? I don't remember. That's why we have episode not notes. Black Panther. Thor Ragnarok's next. You go Doctor Strange to Thor Ragnarok, or do you say like, no, hold on? Look. Did we already do Black Panther? No, Black Panthers no. after Thor Ragnarok. Okay, but do you stop Doctor Strange, Thor Have Ragnarok to go? Died, John, come on, Have some Be like, hey, you know what? Just, let, we've done. Let it. me find my copy of Spider-Man: Homecoming. <laughs> no, you go to Thor Ragnarok. That movie's dope. But if you have yeah. access to Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah, like that's you just carry through. You know, I think As I probably does, you don't. <laughs> I see, but I I don't I don't I I just keep on with the, the with the binge because I'm not going to stop what I'm doing because normally when I'm binging these it's because I'm doing. But other are stuff you in the house. binging them? Are you binging them straight in one day, or are you picking and choosing, going, oh, this is the next movie in order? I'm going to watch this today. Yeah, that's well. That's what I kind of do when I binge these movies. Is it's like my birthday weekend, or it was the start of the pandemic, and I'm like, oh, what are we watching? Oh, we'll just turn on. What do we want on the background? We'll just turn on the next of the Marvel movies. All right, I'm just saying. I th- <laughs> and I I think it's idiotic. Oh, we're gonna turn this on. Oh. Mm, I can't get up and walk over two feet and put my DVD in for the next movie. The thing is, John, with this if movie, you're binging I don't them, even care I would just... about this movie. I don't because it's Spider-Man and it wasn't that great. I don't Whoa, even care to watch it. Okay. I'd rather watch the next movie. <laughs> I'd rather watch Thor Ragnarok next. Okay. Right. I'm not going I... back to rewatch this one. There it is. <laughs> Paul's giving you the. Or Chris is giving you the wrap it up because you've gone too even, far. We haven't even really gotten into the introduction. Which John I'm pushed me because you was the, you were, we're gone. About and physical John was media pushing me. Streaming. He was pushing me. I still think it's idiotic to be like mm, I'm not going to get up and put the DVD in. I'm sorry. It's not worth the effort. That's I, I think it is. I think I, it definitely is. But also, if it's not something. <laughs> That I can just hit a button and watch. Like, I'm I'm not going to because there's a million other things I can hit a button and watch. Anyways, Spider-Man Homecoming, the 16th part of the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe, uh, came out in 2017. We already said that. I need to say it because that's how I introduced all this stuff. Directed by John Watts. Um, we get Tom Holland back. Thank you for the heart. 
Uh, we get Tom Holland back. Paul. I was letting him. I was letting Paul know that oh, I love him. But... I thought I thought it was for me because he's getting through all this. You got uh, hey, you got back on track. <laughs> Good job, Jim. We're yes. back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This movie does take place over a few different years. It starts off with our cold open that takes place right after. You got to take those sunglasses off, John. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, it does take place right after the Battle for New York, but then it jumps forward eight years to the quote-unquote present day. The time jump doesn't bother me because people have been like, oh, well, if Avengers takes place 2012, well, then that means this movie takes place in the future, but everything else, it doesn't matter. They're just setting a, a time to say, like, hey, time's passed between everything happening. At this point, Adrian Toomes... A.K.A. the Vulture, A.K.A. Michael Keaton, has has been in this alien super tech game for a while now. Um, but Marvel Cinematic Universe: Tom Holland's back as Peter Parker, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. We also get to see more of John Favreau as Happy Hogan. Pepper Potts appears at the very end. Gwyneth Paltrow getting that paycheck. Um, didn't remember she was in the movie. Did not remember she was in the movies. But I can understand for her, like, I don't want to sound too defensive, but you get a call from Marvel that's like, hey, we need you to come in and film a scene. They're probably giving so little information about what they're actually filming so they don't spoil anything that her saying, like, oh, I, that was for that movie? That's not that surprising for me. And also, I feel like Marvel, these Marvel movies are such a meat grinder that she's doing that scene while doing other scenes for another movie that's also a Marvel movie. Like, it seems like, oh, you got to come in for a reshoot for this. Oh, while you're here, do this. You know you know what I mean? Like, it seems like they would probably line up the schedule so it's a reshoot or ADR or some other reason why she's in the studio anyways and she's doing the scene real quick. Because it's, it's a cameo at the very end of the movie. Yeah. Did it actually matter? No. Did she get a paycheck? Hopefully. Was it fun? I think so. But that's at the end, yeah, of, that's at the end of the movie, though. Getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, but this is the continuing story of Peter Parker, the amazing Spider-Man. And this is, I think, a much more ground-level look at Spider-Man than we've gotten in any of the other movie Spider-Man Spider-Man's. Yeah, he gets directions to that one old lady. That was great. Which is all fantastic. Peter Parker as Spider-Man waiting around for his next big adventure is so much fun. Just him being that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, Beats up the Avengers. Well, you're, you're jumping a little bit ahead. Uh, um, sorry, because I have, I have a few notes. And this is, I think, the great Marvel movie retrospective that I actually taken the most notes for. Uh, I have three pages of oh. notes. Yeah, uh, and granted, like the first half page is just the people that are actually in this movie because we get a lot of people coming back or coming into the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the first time. A lot. It's just Peter's classmates too, though, because they do wind up coming back. Um, some of them more so than others. Uh, but like we said at the beginning, this movie starts during Avengers, where we get Tyne Daly appearing as the head of Damage Control, which <laughs> yeah. 
is an actual comic book in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And these are the people that are responsible for cleaning up after superhero battles. And they're kind of stepping in on the toes of Michael Keaton. Again, absolutely who killed it in this role as a villain, uh, Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. The Vulture. I really dug this scene a lot because he's just a normal contractor. He bought trucks for this. And mm-hmm. to have that be your superhero origin just kind of sells the more relatable Marvel villain that we kind of get in the tail end of the cinematic universe that I really like and I think sells it a little bit more as a believable universe. As somebody that... I, oh. I was going to say, as somebody that works... I'm sorry, John. We, we went twice now. Uh, as somebody that does c- kind of contract work, you've been in that situation where the people that sold the job undersold the job. They spent they spent too much money getting the equipment in, and now they're squeezing you to get the job done as quickly as possible because otherwise, you, everybody's losing money. Just everybody's losing money. So. That stress, I can feel in is real on that level. I think this is also another thing that, like, Tony Stark looks past. Tony Stark put in damage control. It's that thing that I'm going to have that's going to clean up all the messes. uh, Go clean up all the messes. If he, I think if Tony Stark had known that Toombs was on the job and did this, he would have been like, you should have wrote that guy a check. You should have covered what that guy had done. Cover the expenses. Yeah, because make him whole. That's that's what you should have you know, that's what should have done with this, where it's like, eh, hey, the government's coming and taking over. We're gonna squash this little guy. Doesn't set up a good villain for the rest of the movie, but if Tony Stark no- had known that his branch that he created did that, I think he would have been upset. I mean, it's the same thing in uh, um, Civil War when he found out that he dropped a, a huge landmass on a, a single soldier. It spurred the whole rest of the movie. Like, or not even a soldier. He was there doing uh, like missionary work. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's that guy that would have, if he had realized what his choice had made that it hurt other people, he would have made it right. Well, I think, okay, so let's just say that Tony Stark makes him whole. Like, hey, covers the expenses, evens it out. But Adrian Toomes is the kind of guy that would have, like, overcharged here, overcharged there, charged a little bit more overtime, like, put I, a little bit more I think fat you're, on his contract. I think you're making suppositions at that point based off of who you get to see him become at the end of the movie because beginning of the movie like this opening scene he's just a dude that got hired to do a job and was like oh th- this is a big- the one telling us this story it's from but, his point of view i i don't think there's any narrator for this you're seeing the events as they played out there's no good guy there's no bad guy in this he got hired to do a job he was like oh i need more resources to do this he brought people and equipment on board and then just had the rug pulled out from underneath them. And ultimately like the government's not going to care about that. Like, okay, like that's fine. Whatever. We're in charge now. And I think he's a guy, 
he's a guy that cares about his workers, his workers' families, but most importantly, he worries about his family. And he, if you're going to take bread out of his family's mouth, you're going to, you're going to feel his wrath. And I think that's the big thing with this scene is he's left with one option that is to take those cells and have the tinkerer fix up some kind of gadget and then do something with it and sell it. And that's where he finds his new way of life because it is probably a little bit easier. It's easier to do this than to run this big. I, I feel like he's not a person that was seeking that life. But he just kind of <clears throat> resorted to it, and I. But I, I do think he. I mean, he's the type of person that, like, when that guy spouted off about not overspending, all his men knew. But well, you don't talk to the boss like that because he decked the dude. Mm-hmm. Same thing later on, and he felt no remorse for decking that guy. Later on when the guy threatened to tell his wife what he does and he incinerates him, he thought it was the gravity gun, but he, I don't think he felt oh, in I, ounce of remorse I don't think he did at that point, about killing that guy. Again, like this is an Adrian Toomes years after the fact. Like, I think the person that you're seeing at, in this cold opening versus the person you see for the bulk of this movement, it, is the same person, but it's also a different person. I think you're seeing someone that was kind of driven to that lifestyle and then just became accustomed to living in that darker, like black market world. Yeah. That's the thing. I've seen that show. No, I I feel like that's an apt, apt relation to it. Um, but then after this cold open, we get the Marvel logo, uh, and instead of our typical Marvel fanfare that we have, we actually get the original animated Spider-Man animated series theme song, which is really fun to have that pop up in any movie, whether it's like the Amazing Spider-Man movies or the Tobey Maguire Raimi Spider-Mans. Uh, it's just so recognizable that that's a fun little Easter egg thrown in there because it gets people hyped. Like at that point, you're like, yeah, this is Spider-Man. Uh, from there, we go into the found footage, which is, again, taking place during Civil War, where you're getting Pete filming everything on his cell phone camera, uh, him being picked up by Happy, him being flown out to, where were they, Germany? Yeah. Germany. Uh, To him. You couldn't tell because he couldn't pick up a pretzel und Bier. Und Bier. Because he's underage. Uh. To him, like, actually making his grand appearance in Marvel Civil War, which, again, fun stuff, because you're seeing this so much from the ground level, because that was such a big moment for us as comic book fans, whether you're a Spider-Man fan or not, Paul, I'm looking at you, uh, getting to see him actually in the costume after, like, so much bedroom talk, not that kind, with Tony Stark, uh, there was a swell in that, like... I, I felt like I finally got to see Spider-Man in a Marvel movie at that point. And now seeing the kind of lead up to that from Peter's actual viewpoint was fun. Like, I got his excitement. I got, like, just that enthusiasm that he had. He was only one year off 
from drinking a beer in Germany because he's oh. 15 in the movie. 16 is the drinking age. Uh, <clears throat> well, they still couldn't have one. And they didn't. <laughs> Shortly after that, though, uh, we get Tony and Peter driving together in a car where he does refer to Happy as the forehead of security, which is what he referred to Happy as way back in Iron Man 3. Uh, continuity. I feel like this movie does a lot of catching up where it's like, hey, we didn't have access to this character. Now we do. How much can we weave them into that Marvel Cinematic Universe narrative but still have it make sense and not feel forced? That those little throwaway lines from someone like Tony do sell. And this is something that I would not have caught or paid attention to if I wasn't watching this movie through that lens of, oh, I need to watch this movie while thinking about everything else that happened in the MCU before it. Uh, yeah, I, it's all those little things that definitely add up. And the one of the things, because I've seen the other movies, is Happy and Peter's connection in Far From Home, where he's a lot more fatherly or uncle-y than this guy who's like don't don't waste a second of my time kid but the things that i do love is the fatherly moments with tony stark that every little thing that he's checking in with happy about tony is getting yeah, he, he's he hearing is reading. he's listening to it he he's getting every bit of it and those moments too, like jumping ahead, but those fatherly moments on the bridge after the boat accident, like that is such a fatherly moment between the two. And it is that thing of you're angry at your kid, but you don't want to, you're, you're just angry at your kid and you both say maybe the wrong thing or one of you pushes the other one's button. And like, I can just see that as, you know, me and my father or me and my mother or or one of those things of just eh, maybe you said you both said the wrong things. And where are you going to apologize? Maybe Tony was right. Maybe Peter was right. Maybe they just don't see eye to eye. But it's interesting in looking at the whole like that fatherly kind of does pass on to happy a little bit. In the, in the next Spider-Man. And I think you see that payoff because at this point he has proved that, like, no, like, he is paying attention. He is trying to, I don't want to say play the role, but he is doing what he thinks is necessary and letting us know about it. And ultimately, like, yeah, we messed up by not listening to him and paying attention to him. Like, we we need to trust this kid's judgment. And if he's letting us know about something, maybe we, we don't delete that voicemail or email without listening to it. Even though at this point in the movie, he is letting them know about like, Oh, I saved some guy's bike. This old lady bought me a churro. They bought me a churro. Uh, but the, like the opening scene is so fun just with him doing that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man stuff with like the person on the street yelling at him like, Hey, you're that spider guy. Do a flip. Do a flip. <laughs> I laughed out loud during that because it's just so stupid and fun. 
And this movie does have those moments of levity to it. And it does get really dark pretty quick, but again, I always have to ring it up. It's so differentiated from like a DC movie because you do have those moments of lightness, but then it also does, right at the beginning, focus on the fact that there is cost and loss to things where, okay, you might destroy a, a city block, but now someone's going to have to come in and clean that up. Those people have lives. And I like that kind of ground level look at things. Yeah, boat splits uh, in half, but nobody falls into the water. Though, so, uh, I mean, the other thing too is what I thought is the he's counting down those minutes at school, and he's the first one out the door to go be Spider Man. You know, he can't wait to get out of school to go do that. And uh, that's another thing that's just like a really endearing thing with with uh, Peter Parker. Uh, and this is actually right when we get our Stanley cameo in this movie. And this was confirmed to be one of the four cameos that Stanley filmed in one day. Uh, but Stanley, as the noisy, nosy late uh, neighbor who's just watching people yell about someone that's stealing a car. Oh no, wait, it's their car. Alarms going off now. Just people yelling out of windows. They get the Stanley cameo out of the way really fast. But it's also really fun, and I think just in a nice, lighthearted way to do it. Yeah. How's your mother? He's a good. He's just that nice guy that lives across the street. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing that I have after this is actually him breaking up that robbery of the ATM, where we do get introduced to the fact that they are using the alien technology, where he has the line. Thor, Hulk, nice to meet you guys, because he has met Avengers, but Thor and Hulk weren't actually in Civil War. So now he's acknowledging his place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where, yeah, these characters weren't in the last movie. So we're somewhat cognizant of that. I I was just uh, surprised he didn't actually introduce himself as Peter Parker. I do like that this movie dealt... Uh, still deals with him not being the best with the secret identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in also, in a very anxiety-inducing scene later on with him in the car with the vulture. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the only scene worth watching in this whole movie. I See, I disagree with that fully. Um, I've said it before. Dramatic eye roll. I, I think this is... Call. Not that scene. It's so good. It's so good. I haven't placed it in my overall rankings yet, but I think this is probably one of the best Ooh. Spider-Man movies because it does capture Ooh. the essence of him as Spider-Man. Like you even said, he's the first one out that door because he just can't wait to get out there and be Spider-Man. Even though him as Spider-Man is helping the little woman that's lost on the street. It's him doing a flip for that dude on the corner. Like, it's him just getting out there and helping people and being so amped about it. John? And all that joy is driven away from him very quickly. Because <laughs> he's Spider-Man. Uh, dang- dangling plot thread that we get from this is Avengers Tower's been sold, and that's why they're moving everything out, which is kind of the crux of the movie where... Uh, Vulture's making his power play to steal that Stark tech, 
We still don't know who Avengers Tower has been sold to while they're actually making that move to the upstate New York facility that we will later see in Civil War. Because at the end of Civil War, we do get that flash where Cap and Black Widow are like training the new recruits. Uh, but then we also, again, see this facility later in Ant-Man, which came out before this. Uh, and then going forward, stuff like Infinity War and Endgame. Actually, I got the uh, sales contract right here, Chris. Ooh, who bought it? Who bought it? Uh, it, it was uh, Mr. McGuffin. Oh, good to know. Mr. Mr. and Mrs. McGuffin. I, I, I'm sorry, Ms. She wants to be referred as Ms. I do feel like this is something that will get brought back at some point in the near future, though. I think it's too big of a thing just to have them sell off Avengers Tower and not circle back to who got it. Nope. Well, it's... It, I mean, Spider-Man... And Sp- Spider-Man 2, it's rumored that it's the Fantastic Four that bought it. It is, but then it's also Richards. kind of rumored in Spider-Man 2 that whoever is... Or not Spider-Man 2, I'm sorry. Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Supposition, whoever that, I can't remember his name, uh, the Southern gentleman who's like the businessman who's brokering the deal for like the nanotech is maybe working for Norman Osborn or someone else because there's some sort of nefarious deeds there. And that could be them trying to work in Green Goblin. Again, rumors, theories, we don't know, but fun that's, Fun thoughts. We plant those over at the, in the news garden and see if they become news. Uh, some fun stuff from Peter actually being at school, being an actual high school student for the first time ever in any kind of Spider-Man uh, live-action film. Uh, on the walls of his science class, not only do we see noted scientists like uh, Tesla or Einstein, but also on the walls we have Howard Stark, Abraham Erskine, and Bruce Banner. And then in his history or political science class, we don't know, uh, the teacher's talking about the Sokovia Accords as Peter starts to kind of like zone out just about his Spider-Man problems. And we all know this is fiction because no high school class covers anything past World War II. You get to the end of World War II... You get the Marshall Plan, and then that's the end of the school year. But we don't live in a world or go to a school in a world where there's actual living superheroes that are fighting, like, space Nazis. Uh, And the other thing that I do like is you see him mixing up web fluid in his science class. He's got that secret hiding spot under the lockers where he's keeping stuff, like, those are again like some just really fun moments of him in school. Yeah, even he's taking part of the thing that he finds later on in shop class, I think. Yeah, and then like the yeah. teacher's like, "Keep your fingers clear of the blaze," like while he's doing a crossword or something. Uh, I like that look into this Peter Parker's world because we didn't get a lot of just Peter Parker being a normal kid or person outside of the Raimi one where they have Thanksgiving and then Norman Osborn shows up and like Aunt May slaps him like because he's sneaking casserole. I don't... 
Those movies... They stuck his finger in the castle. Those movies are good, but I haven't watched any of them in a while, so it seems weird. It is the scene. It's the vulture scene, just before the vulture scene. It's because that's when the villain and the hero recognize that they're sitting across from each other. Outside the costume. Yeah. Both good scenes. The, I have to do have to say the Raimi Spider Man when you go back to rewatch him, really campy. And they don't even Spider Man Two, they don't hold up now. I can imagine. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, what what does hold up though is seeing Peter and Ned in gym class where they are watching the Captain America Fitness Challenge and. As a kid who had to go to public school in the 90s, I remember doing the presidential fitness challenge where you had to do like the sit and reach and other bullshit for some reason. Remember flex bouncing arm, flex flex arm arm hang. Hang. bouncing a ball off of a wall, turning around and then catching it? No, I don't think, I don't think we do had that. that. No. No? Okay. That might have just been me. The, yes. That, that was just you. I don't remember that, but I think... Can you even do this? Can Paul, come over here. Try to just bounce this wall off the wall, do a turnaround, and catch it. Did you also no, have you one even where do they that. gave you Fail two em. pictures, and they're like, there's five differences here. See if you can find <laughs> yeah. them. Uh, can you see the, the number? It's in green, and the bubbles are in red. Can you see the number, Paul? Nope. There's no number there. You're lying to me. Don't be a liar. Uh, But this also leads us to Hannibal Buress as Coach Wilson giving us the uh, fan favorite. I'm pretty sure this guy's a war criminal now, but I gotta make you guys watch this line. Again, fun, because at this point, yes, Civil War has happened, and Cap's on the run. Like, he's... He's illegal. Technically not a war... Oh, wait. No, he wouldn't be a war criminal. Because he can't... Because he's not a nation. Therefore, he cannot declare war. Paul, did you read all of the Sokovia Accords? We don't know. But also, you're... This is coming from a high school gym teacher. Who doesn't care? Because even when Peter leaves the detention, he's like, Hey, stop. What are you doing? You're not supposed to... um. Uh, And this is Hannibal Burris, who sent someone else to portray him at the red carpet premiere of this movie. Oh, he hired somebody off of Craigslist to be like, hey, I need someone to go to this movie premiere for me. I'll give you like 300 bucks to do it. So if you watch the red carpet premiere for Spider-Man Homecoming, it's just some other dude there with sunglasses on, much like John was wearing, audio podcast, uh, appearing as Hannibal Burris. Good for him. He knew how bad this movie was. God damn it, Paul. Uh, So, we've already talked about how Adrian Toomes, he's kind of the scavenger. Hey, he's the vulture. That makes sense. Connections. We're making them. Uh, He has the tinkerer working for him. He also has the shocker and then later another shocker. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Also, the Scorpion. So this is kind of building that rogues gallery without overselling it. It's 
done much more subtly than we got in the Amazing Spider-Man oh. or the Raimi universe stuff. Oh, you know that the Sony execs were all like, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's get all, Let's do this. Oh, we got the Vulture. Well, let's get the Shocker in. Let's get Scorpion in." And then Marvel's like, "Hold yeah. it back. Hold it back. Get it. Let's let's just shrink it down. Let's just do this. Let's just kind of mention, kind of introduce, kind of just play at it." And they're like, "No, no, no. Make it all." And now Spider-Man Three's coming out. <laughs> we haven't gotten that movie yet. I have yep. apprehensive hope. But when we get the Shocker actually trying to perform the arms deal to Mr. Donald Glover's Aaron Davis, uh, the gun that... The Prowler. The Prowler. The gun that he's trying to sell him is actually a reclaimed Ultron arm from Sokovia, which, again, just kind of selling that bigger picture while weaving Spider-Man into that narrative that we already have. Uh, Donald Glover, not into it until... The Shocker also mentions that they have anti-grav climbing equipment, which is a tool that the Prowler uses. So, Prowler would use. so some fun, fun hints there to who the Prowler is. And later on, we get some more while Peter Parker is interrogating him. And he makes mention of the fact that he has a nephew and also that he has ice cream in the car that it's going to melt now. <laughs> Big picture, guys. Big picture. And Paul's yeah. not liking it. Nope. I'm loving every minute of this. And I do want to do when Paul goes like, until it gets really dark. This movie doesn't really get that dark. If, especially if you look at the Sam Raimi and you look at the Andrew Garfield like ones. Those ones are slightly depressing Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't have really... He has a fight with his dad... And then he proves to him his dad that he can do it without the suit, and he gets the suit. Like, there's nothing like dark and depressing about this story, and you don't get to, you don't have to see Uncle Ben. You don't, and I'm so we didn't talk about it, but I'm so glad they skip over all that because it's one of those things that's just been done in every form of medium that Spider-Man is being told in. Like, you don't have to keep seeing it, you know. And I like that they kind of played a little bit looser. Like when Pete's friend Ned finds out that he is actually Spider-Man, Peter's like, no, like you can't tell anybody. Like you can't let Aunt May know about this. It would destroy her after everything she's been through. Like they hint at that overarching origin story, but they never really dwell on it because it happened. It's, it's what made him Spider-Man. They've, gone on and they have a new story to tell to uh, it okay now I, I this is the first time I ever actually ever thought about it Aunt May is related to Peter's parents how she the sister-in-law or sister of and the sister of which it's or sister-in-law of which I think she's the sister-in-law yeah. and I think if I re- if I remember correctly, it's well, yeah, because that was Peter's f- Peter's father's brother is Uncle. Ben. That's what I was gonna say because I- no, it's no because his name's Yurik. No, that's Ben Yurik's the reporter. Like that's nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. Oh, because well, it's ben, both their it's- names are Parker. Mm-hmm. Because it, was, so it would be I read I read the um, the Trouble comic that came out from Mark Millar. 
and Terry Dodson in the early 2000s. So it'd be, it would have to be Peter's father. Peter's father's brother. Brother. Because yes. that's the only way you get the surname. Yes. Yeah. Does that change anything for you? Not a Spider-Man fan. No. Okay. I don't know. It, this is the first time I ever thought it. So she's not even blood. No, but she still cares. Like, she's still looking out yeah. for him. Good for her. Good for her. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, if if your sister or your brother passed away and they asked you to take care of the kids, would you just be like, I don't, I don't care, I care nothing for my nephews? But it's, it's not so much <laughs> if, like, Paul's brother or sister's kids got passed through him. It's like if Kate's family like had issues and the kids got passed to you well i'm just saying paul would be the uncle ben i mean he's definitely going to get shot at some point for his <laughs> yeah. world views well i mean first off he doesn't like spider-man so it's up yeah. to kate really to take care of my uh one of my nephews because i don't have any nieces other than on that side no uh sorry i'm just looking through my notes again uh but Ultimately, we get to Peter having to travel closer to Maryland to find the Vulture's hideout. And the only way he can do that is through attending the school's uh, Uh, academic uh, decathlon, I think they called it. Decathlon, which is happening in September at the beginning of the movie. And then by the middle of the movie, it's happening in October. They changed dates. I I didn't catch that. Yeah. But it's one of those ones that I saw on like cinema sins or something like that well they could have been was it they were going to states and then they were going to national maybe possible but on their way they do pass a signboard on the like a light up signboard on the highway there that says uh exit right to like triskelion center which the triskelion is shields headquarters a little bit wrecked now post-civil war but they would still probably have signs to direct people there for work or cleanup reasons. Uh, also because the Department of Transportation is the last one to get those notifications of changes. Because they don't have that in the budget. Yes. They're not going yeah. out there and changing the Yes, signs. suck it, nerds. Especially in Washington, D.C. You want me to close a lane coming from Maryland into the D.C. area? That's That would be like getting Iron Man to show up for my price tag. That's crazy. He's not going to do it. Unless he does, because Robert Downey Jr. does stuff like that. Well, that's the kind of that's the kind of favor you need to call in in order to close the lane coming in from Maryland, going into the Washington, D.C. area. Everybody knows that traffic. I don't. I've only been to D.C. once, and I flew in there. Um, but once Peter's actually there, he has some kind of opportunities to be that normal kid and hang out with not just fellow students, but the girl he has a crush on while they're like causing mischief and going swimming after hours. But he instead decides like, no, the mission is what comes first. And while he's actually staking out uh, the tinkerer and the shocker about to perform an arms deal, tinkerer mentions that the gauntlet that they have was actually pieced together from uh, pieces that they recovered in Lagos, uh, which is again a reference back to Civil War. Civil War. Because if you even look at it, the gauntlet that the Shocker has is Crossbones' gauntlet, but it's not just like the 
the booper, it now has electrical components attached to it. Doesn't just doesn't just boop, it now also oofs. Mmm. I like a good boop. Yeah, I get that boop and oof. Uh talked about this. Uh but then, yes, also at that point later on, we do finally get the fairy incident. Yeah. Which is kind of like the big action scene for this movie because you always have to have Spider-Man's solving some sort of big crisis that involves civilians on a bridge or some sort of hanging on car a train. or train that yeah, only holding up he can solve. or pulling together. I think this is ultimately the best version of that, though, because he doesn't succeed in it. And when he has that moment where he looks back, probably like, oh, I did it. And the AI in his suit is like, oh, yeah. Like, 98% successful. And that's when you see all the webs start popping apart. Snapping. And it's like that brief moment of like, yay, we got it. Oh, no, we didn't. That is very Spider-Man. And it's not until then that you actually get Tony Stark reappearing. Because the only other times we've seen him are through, like, a drone phone call. But now, Tony's actually here. He's there to talk to Peter, like, no, I'm going to impart the lesson that I learned back in Iron Man 3, where if you're nothing without the suit, you don't deserve it. And ultimately telling him something else, too, that will come into play later in Infinity War, that if you die while you're on the job, that's on me. And I can't live with that on my conscience, which is ultimately what really leads to him just kind of shutting down after Infinity War and starting to live that quiet life with Pepper and Morgan. Uh, And you also get that moment too with, um, you know, I bet you're not even really here. And he opens a suit out and he comes out. And, um, oh, I, I had a, what was I going to say? I forget now. Um, but it was poignant and just nod your wow. head and go, mm-hmm. yeah, you're John, right. John, so deep. Nice. You got you got it right there. Thank thank you. <laughs> we're we're all better for, for have hurting that. Yes. Yes. Um, very poignant point. But I do like that because normally that's the climax of any Spider-Man movie but for this it's just kind of that scene that just breaks him down a little bit more and then he does have to progress through the rest of the movie without having all those special toys and tools and the costume that gave him those extra abilities he does have to go up against the vulture while he's making that ultimate power play to get that Stark tech while they're moving everything to the new facility that he is able to step up. And this is the Spider-Man that Tony saw on YouTube that made him be like, Oh, you caught a bus or you caught that car. How how fast was that going? Wow. Like, let, let me bring you to Germany to take down this band of renegade adventures. Like this is the Peter that originally prove him that Spider-Man was somebody worth that attention. And this is the Peter that in the end, when he's fighting the vulture, he's not in the end, he's not trying to beat him. He's trying to save him. 
he's trying to let him know that your your shit's going to explode and it's not the Andrew Garfield where he's beating the crap out of people without superpowers trying to find the guy who killed his uncle. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get the scene where Peter's no longer focused on being Spider-Man and can be a teenager and he's able to run into the girl that he has the crush on and he, he makes that time to ask her to the dance. And you have that really nice moment of like he's he doesn't have to worry about being a superhero or being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man where he's like, oh, I can I can take this time to be a kid, ask a girl of the dance and have a nice little montage with my aunt teaching me how to dance, getting my my suit together and then going to the dance. And it's Paul's favorite scene that teaches him like, no, you're you're always Spider-Man. And that's and that's what I completely love is because it just undercuts those moments so much where he's somewhat aware of what's going on and he's trying to play it cool, but Liz just keeps asking those questions like well, and then Adrian Toomes, like, oh, so w- were you scared? Uh, no, I was watching from outside. I, was, I wasn't there when the elevator felt like. And it's just Michael Keaton, again, so good as the villain in this movie. Just that scene. And when they finally arrive at the dance and he's like, oh... You go in. I just need to have the talk with Peter. He's, he's like, I thank you for saving my daughter. But if you get in my way again, I'm going to kill you. Not just kill you. Kill everybody that you know and love. Like, you get that, right? And he's like, have, have fun. Like, yeah. it's so good, though. It ratchets it up. It tells you what the stakes are now in this fight. It's no longer Peter being a good guy and stopping the bad guy. It's like, okay, he's putting, to be a good guy, he puts everybody else at risk and has to win this fight in order to then save everybody he just put at risk. Now, Adrian does grab a gun and says, you know, (laughs) because he might just, if Peter tries something right then and there, you know, just to arm himself. Um. But yeah, it's, it's a great ratcheting up the tension. It turns the tension up to 11. And man, he he does it so well. He's bad. <laughs> this is like, when this movie came out, I think it was, he was on Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. And they asked him like, oh, like, what is it like, uh, it's like our first comic book movie, like doing this. And he's like, what are you talking about? A fucking Batman. Two movies. And then he got, he got up and like stormed off. He came back, but he was like, no, it was no. one of those great moments. It was he, Jimmy Kimmel. He was saying, "Well, you know, Spider Man is not my favorite uh, uh, superhero." And Jimmy Kimmel was like, "Who's your favorite superhero?" And that's when he's like, "I'm Batman." I'm pretty sure he he said like, oh, really? "This is your first time being in a comic book oh, movie," really? and he's like, "A fucking Batman, man." But whatever the case is, all all that stuff's so scripted and pre plotted that it's it's meant to hit those marks that they they want to like i feel like there's nothing 
ever organic coming oh, out of any kind sure. of late night like interview. I don't know. I, it seemed pretty real. It's <laughs> he is an actor. It but, also seemed yeah, real when he was threatening uh, Peter Parker's life for for getting in his way. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's all that's all plotted and planned. And then comes the scene where it's Spider-Man being Spider-Man. Spider-Man being sad. Sadder man. Uh-huh. Sadder man being like, hey, I gotta leave this dance. I can't be here. I gotta go be Spider-Man. In my... I gotta go... I gotta go beat up your in dad. In my homemade yeah. sweatsuit, reminiscent of a 1990s Ben Riley Scarlet Spider with, like, the hoodie. I... <laughs> It's cheesy, but I do like that costume. I like that it looks like something that a kid would put together on his own. Unlike the Raimi Spider-Mans, where you are somehow meant to believe that the Tobey Maguire Peter Parker had access to making his own human spider costume with, like, the piping and, like, the reflective lenses on it. Oh, come on. Tobey Maguire's uh, big friends with those uh, theater kids at that private school... That private school theater, those private school uh, school theater kids could definitely put that suit together. Mm. I don't know. He drew like he, there's a whole montage of him drawing yeah, yeah. that thing. And guess who he so, gives those drawings to? Theater but those kids. theater kids are gonna be like, oh hey, this dude swinging around New York is that the same design that Peter Parker gave you? Yeah, it is. Or sorry, yeah, it is. That was my New York accent. I'm from New York, but I guess that's how people from New York talk. Guess who uh, never listens to theater kids? Everybody. I was going to say I was going to say Paul because I didn't know what the answer kids. to that question was. And you do have when Spider-Man Peter Parker is talking to kids that he, you know, his other classmates, he is putting on that Hey yo, uh, it's gonna be okay. I'm a you know, he's, he's putting on that. <laughs> yeah, he's putting on that that voice, which is also fun. Because this movie's fun, Paul. That's why you hate it. Oh, Paul does hate fun. That's true. Do hate fun. Uh, but Paul, did you at least have fun with that climactic battle where yeah. Vulture's making his play against like the invisible jet, and Peter's taking him out? Which I think watching it this time. And also having watched Far From Home, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is Spider-Man. He's constantly dealing with things that are just, like, with that Tony tech, like, can disappear or reappear or showing you what you're not actually seeing. You know, it's it felt like, oh, okay, this I can see this technology being a through line with what uh, Quentin uses, you know, Mysterio uses. So. And I... I thought that was... Well, I think, too, like, even as not a Spider-Man fan who hated this movie, like, you do get that moment when, like, they finally land and Vulture's still, like, literally trying to tear him apart, but he's also after that score and he's trying to grab that crate of the arc reactors. And Pete's yelling and was like, no, like, your wing's about to explode. And he has that moment where he's trying to, like, pull it off of him and Vulture's, like, fighting him. And then ultimately he runs in to save him like that's the quintessential Peter Parker that is Spider-Man like you said he's there to save everyone he can and I like that you get that moment in this movie like it's not the vengeful Andrew Garfield one like it's not the kind of apathetic McGuire one where he's just 
leaps out of the way and Norman like spears himself on it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, this is the best of the Spider-Man movies. My favorite Spider-Man uh, movie, right here. It's it's the best. Yeah, but is it the best Marvel movie? And that's what we're really uh, here to I got, talk I got about, a, right, a, guys? Three more things I have on my notes uh, before we get to that point, uh, okay. because after our battle, we do get Peter back at school. Uh, he winds up talking to Liz, but the principal at his school is played by actor Kenneth Choi, who also appeared in Captain America, the first Avenger. And he is portraying the grandson of one of the Halloween commandos. Um, just some fun kind of through lines that, if you pay attention, Marvel doesn't really reuse too many of the same characters or actors. But when they do, they try to like weave it in one way where the teacher who's actually taking all the kids to the academic decathlon also appeared in Incredible Hulk. But in that movie, he's just credited as computer nerd. And now you're getting to see him again as like science professor so okay well maybe he was going to school during that time he's finished school and now he's a teacher it's left very vague but I do like that if they do tend to reuse someone they're like oh wait you've been here before right so even in the principal's office you see pictures and um, medals from his grandfather that are posted there like it's like no like there is a heritage and a legacy there yeah, and it, the actor, it's the same, same actor who played the Howling Commander. You know, like, it's its really its really good that that's, it's, it's a fun, another fun moment in this movie. Uh, and the next big marquee thing that we get is Peter actually getting to meet with Tony again, where he does the, hey, you did good, kid. Got an army of reporters on the other side of this wall. We want to bring you on Avenger full-time. Hey, here's this new suit that we got you. And winds up being the suit that Peter actually does wind up getting in Infinity War when he's there to help with the uh, the Black Council. I can't remember what the name of Thanos' like, underlings is. Uh, but you get to see it in this movie. And then ultimately, it's really like, no, that it was just a test. You're good. Uh, but we get the lead-up to Tony proposing to Pepper, which next time we see them in Infinity War, their engagement's public knowledge. Like, that's big news. Like, Doctor Strange congratulates Tony on his engagement. Like, mm-hmm. Nuptials! You're seeing the, the scenes of it. Uh, next two things I have, because I always... You gotta mention them. Uh, we get a mid-credit scene. We also get a post-credit scene. Mid-credits, you're actually getting... The Vulture in prison, where he has a run-in with one of his underlings, Matt Gargan, who is the Scorpion in the comic books. Again. I thought it was Tarantula. No. It's Gargan. He has a, he has a, a, he has a Scorpion tattoo on his Marvel? neck. Is he? I, for some reason, I always thought it was uh, Tarantula. No, he, he has a Scorpion tattoo on his neck. They play, they play okay. it cool. And also, if you look at his character's I'm as well as the one that they had in um, Into the Spider-Verse. They're both kind of like scarred on the side of the face right over the the eye. Uh, where he's like, oh, rumor has it, you know who this kid is. 
who is it? And he knows Peter's not only saved his daughter, but saved him. And he just kind of has that little bit of honor. He's like, well, no, I'm not going to sell this kid out. If, if I knew who he was, you think he'd be alive still. Which, nice. It shows growth, I guess. Um, and then finally, we get our post credit scene, which again is Chris Evans reappearing for the final time in this movie as Captain America in one of our educational videos where he has the sit-down talk, much like he did before about fitness and then uh, puberty with patience. And how sometimes you feel like it's worth it to wait for something. But then you realize, ultimately, it doesn't pay off at all. Which I think is kind of a fun way to end this movie. Because the end credit scene has become such a big thing. That even in non-Marvel movies now, people will wait around just to see if there is something. So for them to undercut that and kind of have fun with it, I appreciated it. A lot of fun. Favorite Spider-Man movie? I don't know. I, you, you say that, but half, if not more than half the theater gets up and leaves at the end of a Marvel movie. But the fact that and you're like, half the people don't, don't though, is, is still impressive. You can just watch it on YouTube. It's on YouTube. You can go to the bathroom. Your bladder's already full. You drank a 64-ounce soda because it only cost you 50 cents to oh, upgrade. I mean, cost. You're going to upgrade it. You might as well. Uh, but, Paul, you asked the big question before I got into my final notes. Mm-hmm. Favorite Spider-Man movie, but where does it fall in your favorite Marvel movies? And is that a question you are ready to answer, sir? I am. And this is going to go... Uh, fourth from the bottom. Wow. Nope. Third. Third from the bottom. Third because, from the so bottom! Just to say, your, would, your bottom would, movies right now, Paul, are Incredible Hulk, Thor the Dark World, and Doctor Strange. Yes. So it goes above Dark World, below Doctor Strange. Wow. You're embarrassing yourself in front of the wizard, man. Yep. Why? Because I would... I hold this movie up versus Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Hold this movie up against Ultron. Tron. You, you hold this movie up and against like each and one of those movies, I would watch all those other movies before I'd watch this one. I'm just uh, so yeah, yeah. I'm just baffled by that. Except once I get down to Dark World, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do some more fun than Dark World. That's uh. That's just strange. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, it's it's below Doctor Strange, and I'm not sorry. So, Chris, where do you put it? Um, John, do you where do you, where would you put this one? Because I'm currently updating. The list. So my list is going to go: Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Civil War, Avengers. And then Spider-Man Far From Home. It's going to go above Iron Man. Above the original Iron Man? Yeah. I If if you gave me the choice of which one to watch, yep. I would do the Spider-Man. But I, I grew up on Spider-Man comic books. Spider-Man comic books, my dad always had a subscription to Spider-Man for me. Sometimes I'd get two books a month, sometimes I get three, sometimes I just get one. 
but Spider-Man's always been in my home. Spider-Man's always been a part of my life. Uh, I've always been a fan of Spider-Man. I think on this podcast for years, I've always been like, when we've talked about Spider-Man, like, why don't they just leave him alone? Uh, because it is the writers that always like to <laughs> to dogpile and dump on Peter and his life and what he can get through. That's his, that's his character. That's who he is. That's his character. He hates uh, being Spider-Man. He has to throw his uniform in a garbage can. Um, but Spider-Man, I, I love, I love Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man movies. There's a, there's a reason why, like, my dad bought me Spider-Man Crocs. Like, he knew that if I was going to wear any kind of Crocs, it'd be Spider-Man ones. And listen, I know, Chris, I saw your look. Crocs are super comfortable. I don't wear them out to the store. They're for backyard uh, okay, and pool use. As long as you're not like wearing them when you're like you're going out shopping and stuff, that's all right. I can no, 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 no. Them, uh, at a pool, like at a pool, I, that I thought yeah. that's what they were for. They're super comfortable shoes. Like, like their shoes, I thought they were pool attire. They're items that go on your feet. What do you call items that go on your feet? Socks. <laughs> Anyways. For Jeez. me, uh, okay. <laughs> Spider-Man's definitely within my top ten. Um, right now, at the top of my list, I have Captain America Civil War, Captain America Winter Soldier, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, and then this is going to sit at my number six, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. I think it's one of the best Spider-Man movies, and I think it definitely deserves its place in the top mid-range of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think it's a better first movie than we got for Iron Man or Ant-Man. I dig Iron Man, but I think this one's just a much more enjoyable watch. And just... It feels at home in this universe. And I think it does it in a way better than something like Black Panther, which we'll be talking about in a couple more movies, which is so bizarre because both of these characters had great introductions in Captain America Civil War. I think Spider-Man does that sequel slash first movie better. Uh, but that's something I'm really excited to talk about. We just have to get through Thor Ragnarok first. And man, that's the movie I'm excited to sit down and rewatch. Because I will put that movie on just because it's available on streaming. and be like, you know what I'm going to put on today? Thor Ragnarok. Uh, my my son enjoys watching sections of Thor Ragnarok. Definitely when it gets slow, when there's no action for him to look at is when he drops off. But it's interesting. Like, I put mine at five. You put yours at six, Chris, which I think is reasonable. Paul is an unreasonable man. Well, but we, we both put it, I think... Ab- above our Iron above Man. Above Iron Man and then right below Avengers, too. I just... I liked Guardians a little bit more because Guardians has, I think, a little bit more heart to it in a way. Um, I agree, and that's why Guardians is higher on my list. But they both have really you. good soundtracks, and I like the usage of. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Uh, the Ramones in this one, right at the beginning there with our uh, friendly neighborhood Spider Man. 
like montage. It's um, it's fun. And this was I like I really had to fight with whether or not I put it over Avengers. Like it was one of those like it was really fifty fifty with me for that. And the big question for you, so, listener, is if you like us enough to make sure you rate and review us over on your podcatcher of choice. Make sure you're following us on all of our social medias. Drink alongside us. Um, we're doing all the clown shoes beers. You should know that by now if you've listened to this episode. If you can find that 12 beers of Christmas, pick it up. Uh, drink alongside us. Let, let us know your thoughts on those beers through our email, uh, beggingboardcast at gmail.com. Or comment on we're halfway, any of the posts. We're halfway through those beers. We're halfway Christmas through them. This is almost over, and- guys. <laughs> But uh, they've all been enjoyable, except for the one that I definitely was. You got a bad in. one. I got a bad one. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I it just hit me like, oh, we're halfway through that. No, case. you're good. I just, I just hope Paul's okay because he's yawning over there now. Okay. Bye, everybody.